Game development and podcasting have to be very similar in some aspects. And mm-hmm. you, you brought it up earlier downstairs about you have to love it. Oh, yeah. If you-, <laughs> you, have to. <laughs> you have to be fully invested in it because you're going to have those you know the, the, those points where you're like, uh, I'm not going to get to where I need to get. Or, you know, you, you that doubt comes into play. <coughs> so you have to have that, enough of that drive to carry you through it. <clears throat> Especially since when you're first starting out, you don't have all the funding you need to get the games done to like this where you can get to. So, you know, you're waiting for a while and then you have to drive everything forward. So you have to be that driving force behind everything. So basically that's me. So I got, so if I, I have to stay fully driven in order to make sure everyone else is driven. And then the leads, now that we have all the leads on there, those guys have to have that energy too. That same, you know that everyone else you know follows so and if they waver at all then it's not you know everyone else wavers <laughs> the energy level goes down everyone is affected by it so. so it comes down to not just wanting to design a game at that point mm-hmm. you also have to lead a team mm-hmm. and that's a that's a yeah. completely different set of skills correct oh yeah it is it is yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I thought because I've I've done I've never developed a game before, but I've definitely led a team before, and mm-hmm. it's not easy. Uh, even when you know that team is getting paid in my situation, mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of your stuff. I mean, you you probably you guys are probably working for free, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have the profit sharing, and then some you know some contractors, but I mean, it's not it's something that's going to come down to being paid later. So you know you are getting that immediate cap and you know the immediate compensation right off the bat. So, which is tough for motivation, you know. So you have to have that strong energy to overcome that to like push forward through that. Yeah, I uh, talked to one guy that was on our team at one point, and he's like, "Man, I would love to get paid." And I said, "I would too." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point." I said, "Yeah, because I'm I'm paying for everything myself, right?" And I'm I'm not getting paid, so I said you know, and then I'm paying for everything. So I said, well, you are you aren't paying for anything, but but he is paying in time, you know. I mean, you either pay by money or you pay in time, right? And hours work, so. Yeah, the first uh, con we ever did, the first person that ever walked up to our table handed us a resume and said, "I really want to get a job," and I was like, "God, it would be great if I could <laughs> fucking pay myself." <laughs> And Tyler, yeah. <laughs> and then probably <laughs> someone else. That, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah it'd, it'd, be, it'd be awesome if I could hire you, bro. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm honored that you would think that I have jobs to give out to you, but but I, I really don't, man. I don't know if, mm. if, because we have these microphones, if you think that <laughs> yeah. we fancy here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a reality that you got to look at when you get into anything, especially with tech. I mean, it's something that I learned when I actually went to, when I went to UAT that was different from when I went for psychology degree. With psychology degree, I didn't need to be a counselor before I got out of school. You know, I didn't need to have all of what I need to do before I get out. But UAT, I was like, wait, so I need to like have stuff developed before I get out of school? It's a whole different approach because it's tech, you know, so, so people want to see what you can do before you get a job. You basically have to have experience before you get experience. 
especially with gaming, especially with you know films the same way. You have to have all the stuff ready to go right out the door. Otherwise, they're like, nah, okay. Go uh, develop a couple games real quick. Cool. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> I just started out. you know. And, and, and that's a slap of reality you got to take, especially when you get out of school. Before we get too deep here, because uh, the conversation's already going great directions, I want to introduce both of our guests tonight. Uh, one has been on the podcast before. In fact, you can go back to the Indie Game Expo, I believe, episode one from Indie Game Expo. Yeah. Correct? Am I right there? Yeah. And at the time, I believe we were talking to you about, uh, was it Model Weapon Simulator? M- model Weapons Expert. I even have it written down on my damn pad, correct, and I screwed it up. <laughs> Model Weapons Expert was the game we were talking to you about then. Mm-hmm. This is a pop culture podcast, but at the end of the day, this podcast started through video games. And for me, it's exciting to talk to people that actually make video games because it's something I could never do. I like playing them. Mm-hmm. I could never make them. So we have Live in the Game with us here tonight, Ben Pope, who has been on the show before, sure. mm-hmm. and Joe Yates. Uh, and we're going to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. I kind of like the direction we were going there i love to play video games and i will sit down and play a game for eight straight hours but you guys both program i couldn't sit down and do that for 10 minutes what do you have to what am i missing inside my brain that lets you guys uh function that way (laughs) couldn't tell you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what goes through my head most of the time i mean it's just you're right you have to have a different thought process to program because you think looking at a game it's like oh i could do that mm. just really easily but there's so much that goes into it that you don't even think about um especially with making levels you have to show someone here make me make me a platformer oh mm. okay but what what am i doing in it what's happening in it? am i just jumping where am i jumping to yeah there's a lot more variables than just with other types of programming being like hey can you make me some type of cue where i could keep things in order oh okay yeah i can do that pretty generally and have that happen but with game programming it's a lot more about being motivated because a lot of times you can find a better job somewhere else but you love playing games Mm. so this is the better job in your mind Mm. rather than like something that might pay me um (laughs) a lot more than anything else so Mm. it's an interesting thing being in games and being a programmer in that sense do you guys start when, how do you learn to, to program? Do you start with making like something, okay, I've seen Mario or I've seen Pac-Man and I know that works. Let me make my version of that. Is that how you, have you learned this stuff? Because I played, um, I got to play Lunar Seas today and that takes, I, I was telling Tyler before you guys got here, there's a way different mechanic to that game. He has it all figured out and he's ranked number one on your leaderboards now, hey, believe yeah, it or not. Man. He's a champ. <laughs> I am terrible at the game, but I agreed with Tyler. I was like, but the mechanic is very interesting. Normally, you would hit a button to make the boat move. No, 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 no. You have to time the moon to make sure that the, the waves move. I thought it was a very, where do you guys come up with a mechanic like that? Well, actually, that that was actually developed at the uh, Global Game Jam last year. So, it, yeah, I actually jumped on at the DU, uh, over at DU with Joe, and then, and then I met uh, th- those guys over at DU, and I was like, all right, I'm not leading this thing. I'm just jumping on, you know, and then I got involved with the game. And then I was like, hey, you know, I was, I was just there to experience because I, I've led game jams before, but I never really participated as a non-leader. So I was like, it was kind of cool to see how the game would develop, you know. And then that team came together with the idea. 
So and then I promoted it and helped. You know, I brought it under to publish it and to help. You know, with artists or whatever we needed for it, marketing, whatever. So the, actually, Brock Soicher was a, had a really big hand in, in the programming on that too. And then Joe helped a huge amount on getting into like the Apple, you know, the Apple publishing. And it was it was a really tough experience, you know, figuring out all that too. But I mean, with the idea, the original idea is you come up with. I mean, especially the Game Jam, you actually have a direction, a theme over the weekend, and you just come together and hash out like a crunch <laughs> session for it. So everyone says, okay, well, we have a theme of this, and you have to kind of fit it within that. So I, I think it was Gravity. Was it Gravity? I think it was Waves. Waves. It was Waves, yeah. So you, so you could use sound waves, sine waves, cosine waves, any type of wave idea, but you have to implement it into the game. So I know that the Gravity it kind of just fell together with the water. Yeah, with it being that kind of game, having it be like launching yourself off, it mm. would have to be more of a physics-based game based on mm, just yeah. like it would be – not the funnest thing to program just a <laughs> manual movement up and down like that it's much easier to use um any physics engine or your own pseudo physics in a way well and and then also lunar sea was uh pretty unique because you know the one thing is it's everyone plays it differently because i've seen some guys who are like i rock at this and then some people are like it took me an hour on the level I'm, so it, the learning curve is so it's pretty slant, you know, high up there. So, and and it varies, you know, depending on how people play it, how they approach it. Yeah. So, yeah. I had a uh, my strategy was to move my boat to the mm. hole to the back, mm. and then keep a wave up to block all missiles, and then I'll just drop the moon when I needed to pop myself over a rock or something. Fair. Nice. Yeah. I, I am not as smart as Tyler is <laughs> or as good of a gamer, obviously, because I was struggling. I was even mm. telling him, I was like, okay, show me how to do it. Yeah. Because uh, uh, the first rock in the tutorial, and yeah, no one will ever listen to this podcast again because I'm about to lose all credence, but it took me like seven tries. <laughs> like, dude, I'm really good at games. I, swear to <laughs> I, I normally am pretty good at, uh, at games, mm. and platformers are my specialty. But yeah, I was struggling earlier, and then Tyler was like, oh, did you see the leaderboard? Look who's number one. And I was like, oh, you, That's of awesome. course. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it. So you guys made that game over a weekend? Yeah, the, the the initial base basis for it was, but it took about seven or eight months to do yes. the rest of it. It's from about January to September ish. Mm-hmm. Like That's that. still yeah, pretty impressive. Man, yeah, and, the, and the the publishing was the hardest part. Really, was figuring out what does Steam require, what does Apple need, what does Google need, and then figuring all those steps out because that self publishing, you, you know, you have to do all that stuff and then figure out. Oh wait, I didn't realize we needed this. Oh wait, Apple needs this. Okay, cool, we gotta do that. And then you gotta go back and get it approved. And then oh wait, we messed this up. Okay, I didn't know about that. But once you go through it initially, it's easier and in, in, you know the second time. Yeah. So because you already know what, what you're gonna need, you have some idea of it too. But the, hard, the hardest part was Apple for sure. That's definitely the most challenging one. Yeah, they want so many specific things, mm-hmm. and when they told you your game was not working, they were like, "Fix it." Oh wow! Okay, yeah, I'll get to that. Yeah, if you guys are gonna publish your podcast on Apple, Mm. get used to it. Oh yeah, it. I think we got on almost every service within a day, day and a half. Mm. Apple took us two weeks to get approved to be on iTunes. Oh yeah, it's it's super picky. Yeah, they're just it's it's just the very nature of of the beast. So I guess that's but but having it on the. Mm. uh, I mean, I was able to download your game from the iTunes store. That's got to be huge. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
even though it was such a pain, you can't not be on the Apple Store. It's it's not mm-hmm. like another service that's smaller but easy to get on. You just can't skip that. There's so many people on the App Store. You just can't. Yeah. So it's worth it's worth the struggle. Yeah, and they're definitely uh you know, Apple users are are like a <laughs> They're a, they're a loyal and oh a, for sure yeah and a and a vocal bunch like so if if you don't have the quality and yep. if you make it on there then you know it's probably pretty quality yeah and so. Steam is it Steam is pretty loyal too the, Steam is definitely I'd say the most challenging one as far as the people and their opinions so oh, yeah. if you get a, a good rating on Steam that that was the most interesting thing because the first time we actually pushed out Lunar Sea on Steam. We we did the uh, what was it the green light yeah so back when they had the green light process yeah and it was funny because they're like oh hey you need people are like no you need changes or oh this isn't good I'm like oh whoa okay cool all right so we went back and we fixed we addressed all those things came back and then put it through the process and then it was good and then it, it, the rating overall was good on Steam which was awesome because they are very loyal to what they want you know they they will vocally tell you. And, and they're very involved but and then apple is definitely very involved too so uh i think android's the least involved yeah. as far as people you know telling you what they think so we just don't care <laughs> yeah i know yeah like, like we'll, oh, we'll whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever just <laughs> yeah it was probably the easier one to get on mm-hmm. i would say by a by a long shot you kind of sure. just throw it up and they're like we'll take it <laughs> <Sounds good. laughs> yeah. like okay cool uh it's a game it works all right cool yeah so it was the goal of Lunar Sea kind of to get y'all's foot in the door kind of name out there. I know I talked to a lot of indie filmmakers too, and they always are making one movie to like, hey, we have to make this so that we can make this. Is that kind of what, what Lunar Sea was? Like, okay, we need to get our name out there so that we can do, um, you know, maybe a game. I think Model Weapons Expert sounded like something that you guys did not come up with over a weekend. Um, so is, is that kind of the goal? Get Lunar Sea out there, get our name out there? Yeah, yeah. The uh, game uh, for me was like, hey, you know, I originally went to DU just to kind of go to the game jam, right? And then I was like, guys, this game's awesome. Never seen anything like it. And then I was like, why don't we just keep going with it? And so then people, you know, they jumped on and then we ran with it. And it, it, it worked out to be an initial foot in the door for sure. And it actually got us in the dream hack and different stuff. So that was really awesome. And also solidified DU's kind of relationship with us too, in a, in a, in a, in a more of a way there too. And then it, it got you know people to know who we are more, which is very essential because we have all these other projects being worked on. So you definitely need something for people to look at and know. Okay, these guys can make some good quality stuff. You know, I think just getting it in the store, mm-hmm. like hey, we. Mm-hmm. I talked to a lot of people that make games. Like oh, where can I play them? You sent me a link instantly. You're like oh, Eric, right here. Yeah. A lot of people I talk to are like, well, I'll bring it over, mm-hmm. or hey, I, you know, you can go see it on this server. Here's my password. Yeah. Oh, you can only use it once. You know, <laughs> yeah. th- things like that. I think having product mm-hmm. is key. I mean, it's just, uh, it's kind of the college degree analogy. It is, yeah. It's, you completed something. Mm-hmm. Okay, we see that you can do that. So, you know, that's, uh, I think that's very important to get your name out there. Oh, certainly. The, the, the biggest thing when you go into school, the thing I learned at UAT was uh, getting into gaming is they want to see that completion because I've seen so many projects that go through right, with student teams. Hey, guys, this is really awesome. Yeah, dude, it's going to be the best thing ever. And then like, and then, then it goes downhill. And, and then so many projects don't get done, which I think is the very nature of gamer. the gamer is that kind of like, oh, oh, that's a new game? Okay, I'm going to do that. 
Oh, wait, there's another game out? Okay, we got to do that. Which I actually got caught up in because I, I was buying so many games. I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. I got to finish these things. So that is the very nature, and I think, of the gamer mentality in general. And then when people get into the and to dev, you know, in school, they do the same thing. Oh, wait. Oh, dude, this is going to be the next WoW. Oh, wait, this is going to be the next, you know, StarCraft or whatever. And then, oh, wait, we have to actually do a lot of work on it? Oh, <laughs> no thanks, man. And then that dies out. So I think we talked to 10 developers at mm. Indie Game Con. You're one of two who's still kind of working on the <laughs> on the projects. We saw a lot of cool games that day, mm-hmm. and I keep up with everybody. And uh, nah, nah, you know we're not doing that anymore. Now we're gonna we're gonna go work on this now. And to your point, I think it comes down to mm-hmm. the dreams are huge, mm-hmm. but someone like you, Joe, has to sit there and program this. <laughs> this thing, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it can't be easy. I don't know how. You guys do it. And people tell me that about what I do for a living. Like, how do you talk to people all day long? That's easy for me to sit idle. And I don't even know what goes into programming. I, I used to try when I was a kid back on a, like a TI-99. It's got to be a little bit more advanced <laughs> oh, yeah. than that now, right? I mean, it's much. Uh-huh. It's easier in the sense where we have like development environments now. We're not just like writing in some text editor or something like that. Okay, but that's what I envisioned. Yeah. So it's not like that. No. Mm-mm. No, it's more of... You really need to know what you're using. So I could use anything from Unity to Unreal, but I need to know what program, what functions I have, what different things I can use, how to work the editor, how to work even in Unreal models and all that, even in, in Unity for Model Weapons Expert, rigging models, um, doing all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a lot more of knowing your program than knowing how to code sometimes because you can make a unity game with barely any programming. you there are stuff there's stuff in there that will help you there are um unity assets that you can download for free that will be like oh here's a here's a platforming starter kit there you go if you want to learn level design use one of those but if you want to learn how to program you kind of got to do stuff from the ground up and that's what i've been doing for the past four years not specifically with this game but with other programs with other games that i've made as well yeah and actually um programming actually went in to go into into programming and, and actually game software development way back when and back in 99 or 2000 when i was originally going to go be a game developer but then i took programming and uh i was too young at the time immature probably but i was like programming is a pain in the ass and then uh it wasn't my thing it, it just wasn't my personality type to fit into it, you know? And I actually went a roundabout way, went into psychology and came back to, to UAT. The thing I did is I took programming, game design, and art. So that way I'd understand how each thing worked up to a certain degree. So that way I knew how, how the, all the inner, you know, locking pieces would work. So if I was talking about programming to a programmer, I'd know what he could do or what we was capable of doing to fit in the art piece. So then, okay, with this art, be able to work with this code with this code be able to do what i want for the design and having all those pieces together and knowing how they work together helps you develop a game better because you know okay well am i is this person going to be able to do what i need it to right is that programmer at the level that we need them to be at to do this function or is this function going to be able to work with this art you know the art that this person's able to create and if you know that you know where you can go and because some people i think the biggest piece is hey we want to be here that dream you're talking about the goal you know but it's not reachable with the talent you have or the per, the the team you have 
they just can't do it, you know, until they get to a certain level of more experience. Maybe they need to code more or they need years and years more of coding to get there. So it's definitely something you need to you realize what you know and what you don't know and where you, you know. And then you have to just work at it too. So Yeah, it's quite difficult to get your foot in the door because they're always, I've been looking for or at other jobs and mm. they're like, oh, you need four years of experience. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm in college. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. bye. And that's their entry-level position. We always joke about there being 21 years of experience. I'm like, I'm 20 years old. I can't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> just get any of that experience. And it just is very hard to get your foot in the door, and you just have to get that chance from someone to really actually get um, real coding experience in that sense um, and, and be able to move forward with making other games because you learn a lot in school, but one of the stigmas that comes with that, I feel, is you want to do things just to get it done and to get great. I'm not usually thinking about, oh, can I do this any better? Can I optimize this somehow? With working here, I'm actually thinking about that because I do not want to make a game that runs like a hog and not work if I ever like drop off the face of the earth. like I want something that people can use and move forward with not something that everyone has to scrap everything to do and move forward. And that's the kind of mentality you get from school. It's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've done all these projects and stuff. And you show people, and they probably will laugh. Just laugh at you for, look at this. Like, this is horrible. Like, you did it. It works. But, man. So you're saying you can be a lot more passionate about something that's not there. Okay, you've got three weeks to do this. You need to get a B plus, get it yeah. done. Yeah, that's what a lot of school is in a way because it's a great place to learn. And if you find the right people to be around and the right teachers and take the right classes, you'll really learn that strong working mentality. But if you're kind of just doing this to make money or just to get through because someone's like, do computer science, you'll, you'll, you'll go places with that. It's it can be a struggle. It can be really hard, and you're just working through it, just slapping down things until they work. And even if you are passionate about it, you have to do that sometimes. Because, man, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's something you know. And I think if you're doing it, it's a goal. What what is your goal, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that you said, Joe, right? With you know, hey, I could do computer science, right? And then there's game programming, and then there's different levels, right? So I could get paid this. But I really want to work on games, and and I know that um, also Brock was the same similar, because you know he he was like yeah, but I want to do games. That's what I want to be. Yeah, you and, got sometimes be really stubborn. Mm -hmm. um, people are always like just just move on. It's like no, I can't. <laughs> I have to. I have to be denied from everyone before I I give in a little bit. I got to just. I got to have a chance, and luckily I've gotten this chance mm -hmm. last or yeah in June. I started and gotten this chance to at least get experience to move forward and even to stay with them for a longer period of time past um, when I end school. So um, it's all it's all connect somehow. But yeah, you really got to be stubborn to get in the game industry because they're always like, how do you you need experience, but you can't get any experience because no one will hire you without it, mm. um, especially in games. You can get other jobs. I, I don't want to say easily because I haven't gotten any interviews for <laughs> outside game jobs. Um, so it's not easy. And that was an internship more, and those are way more picky because they're looking for the top of the top. It's, it's like with other jobs, there might be four or five positions of the same thing. But with an internship, they're looking for one person. 
to fill this one slot because it takes people's time and money. It takes a lot of time for an intern because a lot of times you have to undo everything they did <laughs> for the most part. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's something that's difficult that it's hard to realize your first year of school because you go in with such high ambitions and you're like, I can do anything. I'm ready to do anything. And then your teacher comes in and tells you, yeah, yeah, you won't get a job. Have fun trying. It's like, you don't believe him at first. And then once you try, you're like, oh, he was, he was right. He was right. <laughs> like, damn it. He was like, right. Does <laughs> this both come from a hobby from you guys and if it does why did you want to look behind the curtain because that's the scariest thing in the world for me that we're sitting in a giant room of obviously my loves right now i don't want to know how this works guys that's like seeing how the magic trick works i mm-hmm. give me something a, a good game and i will play it but i i've never had the desire to see you know the nuts and bolts to it do you guys I know you love gaming, Ben. We've talked about that. For sure. But you you as well, Joe? Oh, yeah. And is that is Definitely. that why you guys both like to do this? Yeah, it came from me wanting to make games. It's it's more of a thing that I want to make people as happy as I as they have made me in the past. So make making games for that reason is my goal in the future. Not really anything else. I'd like to be some sort of a director someday of some game that I love. But you gotta work up to that. And programming was the way I wanted to go because I was just good at math. I can't draw. I can't. I don't have the patience to do it. Everyone, the weird thing is everyone can do anything. Just if you have the patience to do it, I don't have the patience to do art. I did my first game I ever made. I did all the art for it. And man, it took more time than I did coding. And Yeah. But it is a love of games that pushes me to make them. Um, and seeing behind games... Has never it never really interested me to be like how does Mario sixty four work how does Ocarina of Time work why why can I clip through everything in that game that stuff has never really interested me it's more where can those games go is what I'm more interested in where can I take these things to a new level and obviously with Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey they kind of already done it for me but now where can we go from here is what I want. And even if it's not for like a big franchise that exists, where can I go in general is what has driven me more to be a programmer. Because I feel like everything leads towards programming. And if without that, you kind of just have some nice art. Maybe maybe a model that, that wings around every once in a while. But um, I wanted to be one of the driving forces, hopefully, to push things in some sort of a direction, maybe. But I... I will say that if you look in the past five years, hmm. the games with innovation are all indie studios. Oh, yeah. EA yeah, is sure. not pumping out for sure. anything we haven't seen before. But you get, I mean, two guys made Super Meat Boy. Mm-hmm. And I'd argue it, it's Mario. But to your point, they did something different with it. And that's the direction it needs to go. Also, you and I have talked to mm-hmm. Ben about VR. Mm-hmm. Since we've spoken, I've gotten to try it extensively. And when you look at oh, the VR amazing, games, yeah. they're very basic Oh, yeah. You can tell basic. that they're very like, okay, we're kind of just figuring out mm. what we need to do here. Is that the direction we're going? I mean, I don't think we ever get rid of the console and playing on a TV because we're still playing, you know, 80s arcade games, going to an arcade and yeah, doing that. Sure. But is VR, is that the next step? Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think taking something and saying, okay, what exists, right? Because a lot of times, I mean, history, like, repeats itself right it's a common you know quote but a common thing but 
you know, p- people look at what was in the past and they, they use some ideas from that and then you do something more innovative, right? So uh, indie is driven by that because they aren't constrained by the publisher or by the, the outside investors. Tell them, okay, you got to do the next thing because of these numbers, right? They're, they're inspired by um, the love of something new, right? Uh, okay, I want to do this. And you have more creative freedom in indie than you do in AAA. Because you don't have people directing, hey, you got it. We, we need the next higher numbers, you know. That's all they care about in the end, right? So that that's not what you want in indie so you can push it in a new direction. Which, I mean, actually, VR, uh, I play the PlayStation 4 VR now. So it's pretty awesome. Like, you know, playing freaking Branson Evil, man, that's scary, man. <laughs> And, and then the games are, but they are definitely more simple. I mean, you can actually see it in a VR game because they aren't, we aren't quite at the level where we need to be yet. I don't think with VR, it's still in, you know, in, in that development. I mean, it's been going for a while now. What, 20 years? It still feels years? primitive. Though, it does. To it me. does. It does. It, it's very based on power right now is in ways what's holding back VR. Mm. It's not like people have creative ideas with it, but it's just not at the point where people can jump on those creative ideas because right now VR is running off a of PS4, which obviously is not as powerful as a PC and it has to run give or take 120 frames per second to look how it does. And you, you see the difference in quality. That doesn't mean the game's bad. Obviously games can look a certain way and still be better than anything. Um, a beautiful game is pumping out, but um, it's very interesting to see where VR will go. Because there needs to be, there needs to be a give and take of power and where it can go, of like the creativity of the developers to actually make something, in my opinion, worth playing, for more than like an hour. That's what I've noticed though: is the games are good for about an hour. Then you're kind of just done. Even <laughs> Resident Evil, which could be a great game in VR, just scary as all get out. I don't know if I want to have something on my face for that long. Mm. and doing stuff like that and the other games and not to rag on them because it's not like i've made anything that's like blow your blow your mind off but you're you're young man you've got time (laughs) i have some time to make it but it's it's a lot of games that seem to have should have been included with some of these packs and they're like 30 40 bucks and it's weird Mm. to see that Mm. because it's it's like the batman game is like a glorified tech demo for uh psvr i think and all these other mediums and having vr at the level it is and at the price it's just not very accessible to me and once it becomes more accessible i think other companies will jump on it and be able to do more with it but right now it's really just like uh what's the word a commodity i guess mm-hmm. sony's the only one that's really jumped on it i mean i know it's been on pc forever but pc is always the uh PCs the kids that can spend a little bit more on their video yeah, games. For sure. Let's let's be uh, <laughs> yeah. let's be real here. Yeah. Uh, they call it PC Master Race for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I thought the the PlayStation VR was great, but to your point, yeah, some of the games I was like, you spent forty bucks on this. Yeah. Okay, I threw a couple batarangs. Yeah, that's great. But what else? I can't drive in the Batmobile. Mm. I can't. Star Trek. I was impressed with though. It was a full price title, mm. but at least it feels like you're on the Enterprise. You're pushing the buttons mm. and stuff, and it's a great multiplayer experience but still at the end of the day there's five missions in a 40 dollar game if you sold me a single player game that was 40 bucks with five missions in it i would laugh in your face like that's just not how 
I, I agree with you completely. I don't think we're we're where we need to to be as developers. Do you guys find that programming for VR? Kind of to your point, Ben. Do you have the idea, but you're like, well, we just don't have the resources to do that yet. Is it is it more difficult? Well, for model weapons expert, especially that one, um, we we started with a PC. You know, like it, originally we were going to do VR. You know, in the end. So and we are going to do VR with it, right? But the thing was that we were like, well, is everyone going to be able to get an Oculus, you know, set? And that's the key thing is saying, okay, do you want to limit your audience and your market between, okay, people who only have VR accessibility or people who can play on the PC version too? So then you have to weigh that out and say, okay, you know, where we really want to go. Like I've, I've seen a lot of VR games at the Expo and actually at DreamHack right and they're just vr but i mean you have to have the whole setup then you have to have space to do it and then you have to be able to move around and like and have the headset you know it's pretty complex with right now like a lot of those vr sets i mean the one where you're walking on it is super cool right like you're walking and you're moving around and it's full 360 degree you know um which is cool but you need you need to purchase it in order to play the game so that's got to be thousand dollars right oh even more for the treadmill Mm -hmm. it's a lot it's a lot to get those sets, and some of them even have like the cameras that you use to be able to detect your movement. And mm. others use, well, mainly just that. And then like PlayStation has a little mm. sticks with balls on them or whatever they're called. The yeah, PlayStation moves, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those things. And with VR, though, I think personally that before it advances in games, it's going to advance in mm. other places first, in other mm. uses, because they're more practical at the moment. You can have um like meetings in it easily in vr have a bunch of people come together in vr and that way you can even have translation right in front of you with people from different countries doing um whatever like at a concert it doesn't really matter at at this moment but until that stuff gets innovated and people see more value in vr i don't think it's gonna go any higher in games and honestly sony's the master at dropping things like a hot like a hot plate. I'm surprised they haven't dropped it yet. I can't lie. I think it did really well this Christmas. Did it really? In fact, uh, I'm basing that off of the, what the store shelves look like, uh, we went to look for move controllers. My buddy picked up one, and we couldn't find them anywhere. Or are they just not selling them? Or are they just not selling them? Yeah, it could yeah, we'll, be. Uh... We'll give you guys one. We'll give you guys one little one. Hey, good for them if it is. But um... Well, the uh, physical, I know that physical rehabilitation, I think that's good with VR learning to move again and those kind of things. And then also I think therapy is, would be, I think that, you know, you could, you could virtually simulate something without actually having to go there. And then, okay. and then that way you could work through problems with that. Like, so say you're afraid of heights. I could work through a height, you know, simulation without actually going to the top of a building, a skyscraper and to deal with it. So that, that I, I could totally see uses for that, you know, and, and for VR technology. Yeah, I, I just don't think games are are there yet. I think it's a it's a cool novelty. Mm. It's like the Wii was when it came out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone thought it was uh, was wonderful, but oh, do you yeah. see people playing the Wii now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really. VR doesn't really have that Wii Sports that brought Wii in. You know, <laughs> they don't really have that one game that was like, I know what this is. I know what it's mm. going to be used for. VR doesn't have that that kind of draw. I use my VR headset as a, as a TV, so I can watch movies. Mm. That's cool. And that's about it. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Huh. Like right in your face. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it kind of like it, 
it almost looks like it it's like a projector right well, like a theater like you're like on yeah. the front row at the theater yeah you, you could <laughs> so some stuff sets up like that for sure that's cool or yeah. like you know i can lay back in bed and like it I'll just looks that. like there's like an 80 inch tv in front of my face <laughs> yeah, yeah that cool, cool thing what's it called it's the microsoft one the hololens Oh, I yeah. thought when I when they showed that in like the Minecraft thing cool. at E3 a couple years ago, I was like, "That's pretty cool. That's a lot cooler." I feel like than VR, but I don't. I don't think that's gonna go anywhere either. At but least we haven't yet. heard anything mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, that was, was like one of the best demos I've seen. Yeah. Oh to yeah. Silence. Nothing. I mean, there's been two E3 since then, correct? Yep. And they haven't mentioned a word about it. That's cr- that's weird. Yeah. We've had it's that like question on the podcast before. What the hell is Microsoft doing? Because. They're losing a lot of ground. Yeah, they, uh, they were the kings in the 360 era, no mm-hmm. matter what anybody says. I think Nintendo might have outsold them, but that's only because there's a Wii in every nursing home oh, yeah. in church <laughs> in America. Like, I love my I Wii, but you can you have to be like, the, the Xbox 360 did rule it back did. then. Everyone knew that it was kind of like the console. It has the controller. It has the games, if, you, if you're into those games, at least. But then you mm-hmm. move forward, and now... It's like, where are your first party games, Xbox? Where are your, why do we have three different versions of your console right now, Xbox? <laughs> yeah, I, I question the, the future a lot. Uh, it feels like, not like they're giving up, but that they're moving more towards being PC, to me, at least. Yeah, I agree hmm. with you. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's something we, we need to develop in games, too. Like, I know, I know the, the game list that we have that we're working on. When you're first originally developing a game, for me, I always look, you know, it's all about that research too, looking and see, okay, what's out there, what exists already, right? And then what can I do that's new? So each game that we do is unique, and then they always try to offer unique experiences, which is what I try to do. You know, always try to offer unique experience from the st- for people who are players, player games, you know? And then that way they're not the same old thing, you know? Which is, I mean, it's, I, it's easy to do if you do the research, you know, but the problem is that AAA you do get caught up in, we got to, hey, we got to push the number. We got to push this. And it's something I was talking to a marketing woman uh, recently from DreamHack a little while ago. And I was like, yeah, like any conspiracies. But she's like, yeah, but, you know, this game, like, you know, you need to make sure that you do the sequel and, and it has to outdo the other one. And I'm like, but you can at least do a sequel that adds unique things to it. Uh, to me, it's like a Batman Arkham series is a really good example of this, where they took the base it was really awesome, and they added to it, and they added new stuff to it. You keep the base that works, right, that people like, and you just add new stuff onto it. It's like uh, like a cake. If you have the solid foundation of a good cake and people like you add new things. Okay, we're going to try this. Okay, this is new. You know, like that, but you still – they, they like that chocolate cake, and you just add new things to it. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's kind of the way I look at it. If you're going to do something, at least make it more unique. At least keep that unique feel to what you're offering, you know, be it VR, be it whatever, you know. Tell us about Rye Reveries, and that nice. is a mouthful. <laughs> Tyler had to pronounce it to me six times today. I was like, what are you What are you saying? That's so good. He's like, hang on. I'm just going to spell it out for you. I was like, okay, spell it out for me because I'm going to have to I'm gonna uh, look at this hilarious. later. That's what you guys are working on currently, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we, yeah. we uh, just finished up a Lunar Sea. We have, we have a little bit more content coming out for that in the future here. And then uh, Model Weapons Expert and Rye Reveries are the current – titles that are in full production right now so rye reverie started as a game jam game actually so it was one of the game jams that i ran at uat i I ran with a couple other studios um so we actually tried like a different type of game jam we we tried to gamify the game jam and it was kind of like the 
Hell's Kitchen or that one where they have like you know where the team can affect the other team and they, they can give them negative outcomes or something like that so we, we tried this whole different thing it was pretty fun actually and I didn't really want to get on another project but it was one of our first ones so we didn't have a whole lot of people there so I had to jump in and I was like okay cool uh, I'll add another thing to, <laughs> to my plate and then we started working on it and it was dreams so our entire theme was dreams for the game jam was what we had and uh so rye reverie is his uh humorous dream so reverie is dream and then rye is humor so i went with something that would be a little bit more catchy than funny dreams you know so and it's it's interesting and then uh each of the episodes so what i want to do is episodic gameplay because i really like that like the telltale games you can get closure on something i can finish it up or life is strange is one of my favorite ones so you can get it i can work on for four hours right and i'm done right and then i could go back and play a second time doing the opposite choices but still it's you know you're closer you move on hey cool i'm done with it it's not like a game where you need to be invested for a year you know what i mean or months at a time <laughs> so if you want to so what i want to do is go to episodic so we follow a tale of a classic figure in a dream state so you have reality interwoven with dreams so you have the real basis for that for that figure so our first one was Edgar Allan Poe is our first figure. So, and you always do, the thing is you have with that, you have to do a character that is in the past that is far enough back where you can use their work in its public domain. So you can't do anybody that's more recent because you have to pay for licensing, right? Copyrights, you have to buy all that stuff. So you wanna use somebody that's, that stands out for a market, right? That people would recognize and you wanna have the fans. So you wanna tie two different things. The fans of that person, are going to understand their works, right? Are going to know what you're talking about. Then you want to attract new people in who don't know their work. So, oh, I can enjoy this even though I'm not a hardcore fan, you know? So Edgar Allan Poe fan, so we want with that. So, you know, they will understand the references, but other people can enjoy it too. So, which is something we're going to, you know, go with. It's based on my ex first experience with uh, point click adventure games. Sierra Online is my favorite. Um, actually inspired me to be a game developer. So, because... Roberta. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she is my hero. She is absolutely, hands down, my hero. And st I started with King's Quest games, Space Quest, Colonel's Bequest, uh, all those. Quest for Gory, Gold Rush, the name of the, the works. Phantasmagoria is really good. And so... Oh, she, God, man. That, that was... Uh, <laughs> A that trip. was groundbreaking at the time. That was before there oh, were so or ratings. Mm -hmm. That's that's pre-ratings board, and that game is definitely M. It's graphic, man. I, I played it a couple years ago again, but both of them. I was like, whoa, it's pretty graphic. And I was like, you know, for Sierra, there, Sierra was like a family game. I mean, I've, sort of a family company, you know. I mean, except for Luigi and Larry, but then they went, you know. <laughs> but it was still tame. And then they went to Phantasmagoria, and it was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> Hold them back. So at that point, click adventure game inspiration was for Rye Reverie. So, so what I wanted to do was do something retro that we could do. You know, that still had like a modern feel to it. Is it going to play similar to King's Quest? It'll have the quests in there. You know, the adventures that you're going to do. But I mean, it's definitely. At first, I went real retro with it on the UI and everything. But we tended to go a little bit more broken sword. And, and the, you know, it's a little bit more fluid rather than King's Quest because I know that Point Cook Adventure games, they changed at a point in time. There was a point where they shifted in the UI and how you would move around, you know, so it was a little bit more smooth. So it wasn't as jolted 
and where you're going. And you know, we click on an item, use the item, right? So, so we actually change that up a little bit to make it more smooth, more of a recent point click. So, but it still has the old feel, you know, but has a new art. So we have really good art style for that. You can have the quest. So Edgar Allan Poe basically starts off, he has uh, problems for, you know, he has writer's block, okay? So he's like, what am I gonna do? I gotta publish, you know, something. So then he goes into this, he ends up getting into a dream state. I, I won't say too, how he gets there or whatever, but I don't want to give it away. But um, Opium. Yeah. <laughs> Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, absinthe, I'll tell you. So, absinthe, okay. <laughs> so that whole, you know, the, the green, the absinthe, the drink, so, which is the, the dream state. So, But we, uh, we actually do have a demo up that, that, you, that you can play online. So Nice. For, for it. And we, we started a Kickstarter for it, and we, we, uh, it did fairly good, but we kind of like overshot on the, on the total. But you know, it, we're figuring out we're figuring out Kickstarter. So you know, it's it's a it's a challenge in itself to figure that out. You know how to do it right and what you're doing. So, but but people really like the game. So I mean, there is a lot of good reception to it. In general, at the expo, at the at the conventions, at DreamHack, people liked it too. So, really interested in the art style. It's very unique. So it's it's our own custom art style from artist Casey Harris. She is so awesome. She's super good in Ishmael. Actually, a guy from Peru, Ishmael Morio. I met him online, and then he, uh, he's been working with us on that. So he does the environment work, and then Casey Harris does like the animations. She does a lot of the items and the inventory that goes into it. So if you see it, there's two two primary artists that are working on it. So. Any cask of Amontillado references? Oh, yeah. There are all kinds of references. Really? Good, <laughs> so, yeah. good, man. I, I tried to so dig good. deep with that one, man. I'm not going to give you the ravens. So, oh, uh, yeah. And then you do Poe first. Is the mm. are you going to pick a different figure for the next episode? Is that uh, have you decided who you're going to do yet? Yeah, I, I do. I, I do know who I'm going to do next. Um, so um, Vincent Van Gogh is what I'm going to go with next. Nice, so, because I want to run on the art style on the unique art shift. So because we're going to go to a totally different art style for that, you know, because Poe has his own look. So it, it, that's a cool thing with episodic gameplay. Is so you can do totally new stuff right and you're not stuck with you know doing the same thing over and over again it plays into what we're trying to do so every episode will be unique and you'll have different stories different art style with poe you know with poe and van gogh and then i gotta figure out who i'm doing to do yeah after that but that's down the road a little bit you know and knowing you you're gonna tie all these episodes together in some mm. sort of psychological thread am i mistaken there oh yeah okay <laughs> and actually alex alex uh Thompson, our uh, lead designer, and he ran with it. So he took the original game, and he's done a really awesome job at running with it. I handed it off to him because, you know, he just has that drive on it. He has a drive to do an awesome job with, with the design. So he, I, I, I wanted to point out him because he's just super awesome on, like, leading it, and he ran with it really well. And then Joe has done a super awesome job on translating the programming, which was kind of all over the place because we had four... This is a key with programming code. You need to com communicate what you're doing right effectively through the code. And it's something that w when you comment, it's called commenting. So when you comment on the code, you let people know what you're doing. Because if somebody else comes on, which is something that Joe talked about earlier, to take over that code, they need to be able to know what you did. And we had about four different people at certain points working on it in school. So he had to clean it up, did an awesome job. <laughs> I'm Joe. using maybe one script that from before. Everything else is completely mine, mm. though. Wow. Yeah. Um, out of, like, a lot. 
a lot more code because I wanted to redo it in a way that, like I said, was functional. And also, um, I always forget this word. Um, many pieces can go fit together. Um, malleable. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's uh, close <laughs> enough. I think malleable. That <laughs> modular. 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 Ah. I can never think of that word. That makes um, sense. But though. it's very important when you're doing programming. Because if something's not modular, you want something called hard code as little as possible. Which is pretty much setting up a situation where it'll only happen once. And you have to be like, oh, if you hit this line or this or this, do something. That's why I've been trying to avoid. I've done that for the most part. There are a few things um, I overlooked. But overall, um, it's it's workable, which is nice, which was my goal. And, and I think we can move forward a lot more with it. Because everything else, it's not like it was bad, hmm. but it just wasn't workable in the same way. Things would have taken a significant more amount of time for a designer. And I wanted to make this when we get more, hopefully more designers able to come in instead of just the lead designer and be able to like stage everything and set up the interactions. Cause I'm doing that right now for the most part um, to help out with the design aspect so that he can move forward with the story and whatnot that he or that a designer can come in and just almost click and drag things instead of having to go into the code. That's just what you want to avoid. You want to have them stay in the editor for the most part and then maybe write a note and being like, I couldn't do this. Mm. Can you make it happen? And you do. Mm. When are you guys planning on releasing? The, in 2019 was our goal. Okay. So get that done. And right now we're looking at, because we, we had a problem. I mean, which happens when you're an indie, you have a fluctuation that occurs at some points. So you have a lot of people programmers and then sometimes you don't have any or you have one and suddenly you have all these artists and then you don't have the artists and you're like what happened you know and it just fluctuates over and over so that's a problem that i have to address you know okay what do we need where are we going to go and then but having a nice milestone plan which is where we're at now you know with okay here's what we want to do every quarter it's something to figure out you know break it down into you know okay every three months where do we want to be at with this will help it direct it better and it's something that we're doing for 2018. So, because uh, what I wanted to make sure is, okay, are we meeting the goals? Okay, let's do evaluations. Why aren't we meeting this? Okay, what do we need to do to fix it? Because the goal is really to help everyone succeed. So my goal is to have everyone succeed. So making sure that everyone benefits in the end because everyone's spending time to do it. And a lot of hours and time and you know, money. And then, you know, so, I mean, you want to see that go. And then, you know, other thing too is even if somebody stay, you know, so there are a lot of people that have been staying with me for years from UAT actually. So, and I always, and I've had people come back to me again, yeah, you know, that I worked with in the past. So, and making sure that, Hey, that investment is something that's going to be worth their time, you know, and then also make a good quality game that we can be happy with. I mean, one of my main things is I want to leave a lasting impression on the game industry. So, and I want something that inspires someone else to be a developer later. So down the years, you know, be like, hey, I played that game, and I was, you know, like like with Sierra, you know, I, I mean, I I wish I could meet them in person and tell her, you know, like you were the inspiration, you know, which is what I want someone to do for me down the line. I don't think she. Uh, I think Roberta is in hiding and has been. For, oh, she 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 was, yeah. Yeah, I don't think she does anything anymore, mm-hmm. and I think it's because she had got a, such a bad taste from the industry. Mm-hmm. She said, "Look, I'm I'm done." I. Uh, she was, yeah. It and was that, actually after after King's Sierra Quest still Seven. Exists. It was after King's Quest Eight, came yeah. out, Mask of Eternity, 
because they try something radically different. And I, dude, I love King's Quest Eight, so it's one of my favorite King's Quest because they did they went totally different. The load times were horrendous, really bad. When you went from level to level, it was like so bad. But the game itself was really cool, and everyone's like, "No, you did something different." Oh man, this uh, they this is terrible. And I think that was when it kicked off for her. I think King's Quest inspired a lot of mm-hmm. us. It's one of the first games I ever played. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say it's one of the first games with references mm-hmm. in it to mm-hmm. movies, to other, to books, to to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roberta Williams. Uh, I mean, obviously, she inspired you to want to make games. God, she's kept me playing. Did you play the King's Quest? Uh, the King's Quest remake? Oh my God, it's so good! Man. It's good, right? They did a good oh, job. I with love it. it. It's it's like a true fan piece. It is. I don't think she was involved with it. I know Sierra exists, but I don't think she owns it anymore. Yeah, they actually uh, sold it right off. And then what happened was the last time I saw her was with the VGA Awards that came out in 2015. Was the last time when they actually got the Icon Award, the Industry Icon Award. Both of them did. So it, 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 it's something I always look at when I want like an awesome inspiration. I'll, you know, replay it <laughs> on YouTube. So, But it's cool because they show their legacy. And they actually talked to him. So the odd gentleman, they handed off. She handed off the adventuring cap to him, to the odd gentleman, the guys they made the remake. Okay. At that time. So, but but they did go on hiding for a while. The um Ken Williams, he he had a, he had a like a little write write up thing he would do, like a blog almost, of news. So he so he had his own written thing that he would keep up with. But she was just like, hey, I'm off on a boat. I remember they were like, yeah, we're sailing off. You know, on our cruise, on our boat somewhere, you know, in the ocean. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Do you guys ever get sick of playing games because of how much you work on them? I know when mm. I was working at uh, <laughs> the three years I worked at GameStop, mm. I would get home some days and be like, I don't even want to touch this. I don't even want to look at this anymore. And once it stopped being fun for me is when it was time to quit GameStop. Do you guys ever feel that that same way? Um. Not really, because I'm always doing something different. I don't play point clicks, and that's what I'm working on. So I'm doing something different still. And it's me more not in the same mindset. I could take myself away from being typing out code to actually doing something more fun than that. Um, but if it does get to that point, it is that point where you just have to move on from it. You just got to take a turn somewhere else, try something different, because obviously it's old at that point and if something you love is getting old then there's there's just it's hard to stay in it no matter what your position in life is yeah um for me games is actually something you're talking about earlier you know like looking behind the curtain right for me i actually like that didn't ruin it for me because what i did is i used okay that knowledge i have now of analyzing ideas so i can get ideas from games and playing but for me it's an escape Games have always been an escape, especially since I was like a teenager. There, it was a really good way, you know, when you're in the awkward years there to escape from people because I was super annoying, right? We all know about that, right? So that was a good key. And I always find that enjoyment, that quiet, like I can immerse myself still. What I do is I s- s- suspension of disbelief. So that's a key. So I purposely suspend it uh, for myself and I just accept that this is the world I'm in. And I don't overanalyze it too much. But sometimes I'll be like, wow, okay. But you can see, it actually helps you in games now. Because if I can see how a design and I know how levels designs are, I can know when something's about to happen or I can prepare better for a boss fight. So, I mean, it actually helps me out. So, 
and it actually it helps me be be a better gamer. I think because like I do know how things are going to function. So, but then you can also see okay, how are things better? How how could this be better? And that gives you some ideas in the back for future games you want to work on. Before we wrap, guys, we just did our best games of 2017 episode. What did you guys play last year mm. that you that you loved? Obviously, besides your own stuff. Um, I really enjoyed Breath of the Wild, Mario Odyssey. I mean, those are kind of like giveaway answers. But <laughs> number one and number one, so uh, I mean, deservingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also really. I wish I could play Mario Odyssey. It's super good. I really enjoyed also Arms. Um, I don't think a lot of people enjoyed that game. I really enjoyed that game. I haven't played it yet. It, it's but it just doesn't look appealing. So sell me on it. Yeah, people. <laughs> the thing that I find most entertaining about it is just the variety of gameplay. Now it might from the surface level it doesn't seem like it, but having the different characters and the different arms really does help that variety. And with all the free updates, there's like. 16 17 characters now all with that have very interesting playing styles a nice um actual like visual presentation and then a fun online suite where you can just play like party modes where you can play one-on-one but then there's also 4v4 there's all those modes in it um that's what i just like going back to it every once in a while um, it's not something that I'm just like, oh, it blew my mind, but I have, I still have a lot of fun with it to this day, and I played 30 or so hours of it. And if if I could get past 10 for a lot of games, I'm like, you know, good job, guys. Because even, like, not to rag, but, like, Sonic Forces took me, like, three hours. And <laughs> I was like, why did I? <laughs> that was not worth it. The other one, uh, Mania, is so much better. Sonic Mania. Uh, people are always joking. Sonic was in the limelight for, like, four months and then uh. went back, but... No, Mania is a... F- I tried Forces, and Forces was decent. Yeah. Mania is a love letter to the Sonic the Hedgehog games. In fact, it made my top ten. Yeah. So if you no, haven't Sonic tried Mania... Mania is a really good game. Mania it's is awesome. excellent. Yeah. Uh, Super fun. It, it takes you back to the Genesis <coughs> days, <coughs> but it improves on that. And it's. <laughs> I said it on the last week, but it's sad when the best Sonic game wasn't made by Sega this year. It had yeah. nothing to do with it. Yeah, the fan-made one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that they, guy made, is, they made the Forces game. That guy it is was, really great. The guy who made uh, oh. Sonic 4. He's, his name is escaping my mind, but he's a really good guy. Yeah, they did a good job of it. What about you, Ben? What did you play last year you loved? So I think uh, there, there are about a few titles that, that I think... Uh, one that, for me, if I play a game once, that's good. If I play it through twice, because I play so many games, right? I don't have enough time to play everything. If I play it through twice, that's awesome. Three times, it's epic. Four times, it's like beyond... One of the games, uh, Until Dawn, is one of my favorite games of all time. I'm I'm super excited about Impatient coming up with the VR. So good, man! Like that game, I played it like five times over. So that's Until like Dawn, seven. yeah, Until Dawn, really with, uh, with all the different choices and different stuff. You that could was do. my There's first platinum so on uh, on oh Sony because I I did the same thing you did. I think I only played it through three. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to get all the endings and the and the different stuff, mm-hmm. I loved that uh, that title though. And then um, the other two. What remains of, uh, of Edith Finch is like blew my mind. That game, like I was like, "What? This is." I'm so glad good. you brought this up because oh, I want to know why you thought it's. Mm. I bag on walking simulators on this cast all the time because I hate them, <laughs> dude. I just there, there's a time and place for them. Like, yeah, if I was going to recommend a game to my grandmother, rest in peace, it would probably be one of those games. Edith Finch got so much hype. I was like, okay, it's on sale for ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Let's see what this is all about. 
I was in tears at the end of the game, oh, man. Yeah. Granted, you have to pay attention to the story and you mm. have to see what's going on. Why did that one resonate above all the other walking simulators? Well, because for me, it ties with that company. Um, the other game they did, um, the Unfinished Swan. Because those same guys, and I was watching how they designed the game because I was analyzing that a little bit. And it, they they used similar mechanics from the Unfinished Swan that they used in What Remains of the Finch with, uh, with the text, like how they did the text in front of you and had it like rip away. Like in, uh, uh, the Unfinished Swan was phenomenal too, but the way that they referenced back to themselves too, I'm, I, there was one spot in there where you actually go through the, tel- the telescope and you look out and then you see the, the guys from Journey you see the planet where they're on and, you, and I, I, it's just all the little intricacy details that they put into the game to show the love. There was like true love. And then the stories you're following the, 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 the lineage, right. Of the family. So, right. and she's exploring her, her ancestors and you're playing each of the different stories. And I, I, that mini game type thing that they did with everyone, like the guys on a swing, right. And you're swinging more. And it was just like, I felt like I was really on a swing set. And the guy's like, man, he's swinging higher, and he you know falls falls off to his death or whatever. And then that, the, I think one of my favorite was the baby, where you're actually in the bathtub and you have the toys, and you have to like bounce the frog up on the guy on the. Th- I was like, what? And then you're in the water, man. You're swimming through the, through the water. It's just so creative. The, the creativity level was off the charts. Yeah, I thought it was very unique. Mm-hmm. I guess, but it was. I mean, it was a it's a walking simulator. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. action. Mm. To be said in that game, you can't lose. It's if, so good, if you yeah. will. But no, I I I completely agree with you. It, it, yeah, it's, it's sad. It was. It was like, hey, I'm walking through a family history. You know, like it was that depth. I think it had even more because you're like seeing the family, and it kind of like almost resonated something with your own family. Like I was thinking about my family to a degree. Like if I could see my aunts, you know, my relatives, right? You know, that kind of thing. So I, I think it had a little bit of that to me too, and also evil within too. I have to point out, dude, I can't stop playing it. Like, normally I switch between games. Dude, Evil Within is one of the best horror games of all time, man. It's one of the best, in my opinion. um, opinion. I'll I'll give it another shot. I Mm. didn't really get into it, though. Mm. I didn't get into the first one either, Mm. though, and I can't remember why. Mm. I, I don't know if it was the difficulty... I hate games where there's nine enemies and you have six bullets. I can't stand it, man. Give me give me nine bullets for nine enemies, and I'll, mm. I'll make the headshots. But I remember the Evil Within being harder. I think I'm about an hour in Evil is, Within. It's, it's good. It's very psychological, though. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the reasons why. I mean, I really like it. But it's a guy that did uh, the, the the first Resident Evils, Resident Evils, and you can tell his design characteristics in there because he does do that. You know, the first Resident Evils where he had like five bullets and you had all these zombies and you had to like strategically get around things. It's tough, you know? <laughs> That's how evil within is. Mm. It's very much, you can't kill everybody. You have to run. You have to, and it's scary too. You're like, Oh no. And then, uh, you know, I mean the first one was very psychological. The second one is too. And it, it just enlarges on that. But the first game, I was impressed with how long the game was. And I was like, Oh, okay. It's probably near the end now. And it just kept going. There was like 16, 17 chapters, 20. I was like, man, this is like the biggest horror game ever played in my life and it was just it's it's pretty amazing how they do that you know stealth you really have to like stealth too if you get into it yeah you do because resident evil 7 was great last year but it's Mm. short Mm -hmm. i mean i think it's like six hours yeah it's not that designed for vr though too Mm -hmm. so they i think they kind of had to keep that in in mind yeah the vr um, yeah the scope that they wanted to 
So everyone can play Lunar Seas right now mm-hmm. uh, on any platform you want. Uh, we won't get uh, Raya Reveries. I can't believe I haven't screwed that up yet. <laughs> uh, we won't get that until next year, but there is a demo out, correct? Mm-hmm. Is this on y'all's website? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to kind of, you know, I hope we get to catch up at least yearly now because I kind of got to talk to you a year ago about what you're doing mm-hmm. and now you're doing something completely different. So thank you guys both for, for coming down today and enlightening us with this. Uh, we will definitely put links up to the game. In fact, I know you guys can play Lunar Seas for free. I did it today. Uh, Tyler did it today too and nice. he did it much better than I did. So uh, <laughs> knock him off the leaderboards too, BitFacers. Come on. If you see Tyler's name at the top Good of a leaderboard, you know that score can be beat. Um, But yeah, our guest tonight, Ben Pope, Joe Yates from Living the Game. Thank you guys so much for coming down and and getting bit-faced with us. Um, We are going to be at uh, Comic-Con, actually in Denver this year. So if you guys, we will be there. And we we should have a panel coming up for that too. Please let us know. We'll share anything to the the site. And we will definitely be at at DCC as well. So we hope uh, maybe we'll get to, uh, I know DCC is busy, but maybe Mm -hmm. we'll get to hang out, have some some beers, whatever you guys want to do. Tyler, run TRG Glaze, chairman of the boards here as always. I am Eric G. Hollis, and we are out.